Welcome to the Growing with Nature podcast. I'm your host, Darren Williams, permaculture enthusiast, restoration ecologist, and founder of Growing with Nature. Too often, we hear that the best thing we can do for nature is to leave it alone. But people are a part of nature, and you can make the living world around you come alive with abundance for people, plants, and wildlife, even in your own backyard. Join me on a journey through regenerative soil building, permaculture, restoration ecology, and more. To learn concrete steps you can take at home to support wildlife, grow incredible, delicious food, and help heal our living world right in your own backyard. Ready to get started? Grab a shovel, roll up your sleeves, and let's make the living world around you come alive. In this episode, we're going to look at the most important reason to plant native plants. In short, it's because native plants share a long evolutionary history with the other life that live around them. This long shared history has resulted in native plants being more connected with the life around them than non-native plants are. This in turn means that a landscape filled with native plants will be more abundant than one without them. Let's talk a bit about why this is. If you've been following Growing With Nature for any length of time, then you know I talk a lot about native plants. Native plants are one of our five pathways to abundance. I've featured some of my favorite Pacific Northwest native plants like Henderson Rose Checker Mallows and Miner's Lettuce, and I've talked a bunch about how native plants can help you deal with pests and how native plants support picky insects and in turn the other wildlife that eat those picky insects. But unfortunately, I often see native plants being ignored or even dismissed in gardening and permaculture circles. It's frustrating to me because it often leads to whole groups of amazing native food plants being ignored, and it leads to the critical role that native plants that native plants play in any landscape being ignored. I've studied permaculture for quite some time now, and I'm also a lifelong gardener. I've learned a ton from people in these circles, and I have a lot of respect from them. But I'm also an ecologist, which is why I think I get frustrated when native plants are left out of the discussion or dismissed, and not viewed as more important than native plants, at least from the perspective of wildlife. I have a lot of respect for many of the people who dismiss native plants because they're doing great things in their other work, so it's frustrating when they fall short on this issue. One reason some of them dismiss native plants is due to another type of frustration. That frustration comes from native plant advocates who argue that you should only plant native plants. And I get this frustration, especially if your goal is to grow food for you, for your family and community. While there are lots of edible native plants that I want people to grow, it doesn't make much sense to exclude non-native food plants that aren't invasive. For example, there aren't really any great native fruit trees here in western Washington. We've got a crabapple and a very bitter cherry, along with a native hawthorn. Without apples, pears, and other non-native fruit trees, we wouldn't have much in the way of fruits here, though we do have some great native berries. And while there are native staple crops like wapato and cattails here, I also don't want to ignore non-native staples like potatoes. It makes a lot of sense to combine native and non-native food plants to, to build a resilient and abundant food system that supports people and wildlife. So I get the frustration when people say you should only plant native plants. 
But you also can't ignore the role that native plants play in a healthy, abundant landscape. And this is the area I want to focus on today, because I don't think people understand why native plants are needed. I think it often comes down to a focus on the ecosystem services that plants provide. Services like providing cover for wildlife, filtering the air and water, blocking the wind, creating microclimates, building soil, things like that. So let's start there. Let's take a moment to talk about why focusing on, the, on these classic ecosystem services that plants provide is missing a critical piece of the puzzle that can lead to native plants being ignored or dismissed. But before we do, I want to take a quick moment to thank our newest patron, Finley. Thank you so much for supporting us, Finley. The support of patrons like Finley allows us to create weekly free podcast episodes. It takes a lot of time to create these episodes, and it costs money to host them online and run our website. Our patrons help cover these costs and provide us the support we need to continue to create free weekly episodes. So a big thank you to Finley and the rest of our patrons. If you're able to, please consider supporting us on Patreon. There's a link to our Patreon page in this episode's description and show notes. Okay, let's get started. Are you familiar with the term ecosystem services? While there are lots of ways to define this term, you can think of it as the benefits that are naturally provided by a landscape to people and wildlife. I've included wildlife here, but often discussions around ecosystem services focuses on the benefits provided to people. This is because the idea of ecosystem services was developed so economic discussions would be able to quantify and include the benefits provided by the living world to people. Before, many of these benefits were ignored as externalities. An example of ecosystem services would be flood control provided by a healthy floodplain filled with native vegetation, or the role plants play in cleaning water runoff from farms. There are lots of examples, but on the level of your backyard, people often focus on some simpler benefits that really work on the small scale. You know, things like shade from the hot summer sun is a good example. Another could be providing shelter for wildlife, such as providing a place for nesting birds. You know, others are, you know, pollen for pollinators, blocking a cold northern wind, helping to build soil, and cleaning and slowing water runoff, and even just adding beauty to the landscape. All these are great benefits that plants can provide. But there is a problem with just focusing on these benefits. You know, let's start by looking at the benefit of soil building. A plant can help build soil in a couple ways. It can be a source of biomass, you know, all the leaves, twigs, branches that fall to the ground. If it's a nitrogen fixer, like a lupin, it can help increase the nitrogen in the soil. It can prevent runoff and erosion. And it can feed soil life, which in turn will help build soil. Now, some plants are going to be better than others at doing this. A fast-growing nitrogen-fixing tree that regrows after being cut, often, also known as coppicing, that could be a great option for building soil quickly. The same approach can be taken to look at the benefit of providing shade from the hot summer sun. For a plant to be good at doing this, it would need to be tall enough to provide shade, have a dense structure canopy to block the sunlight, Ideally, be you know, it needs to grow fast enough to provide this benefit to the current people living on the land. And of course, it needs to be able to survive on the site in mind. When you look at, at it from this perspective, it really doesn't matter if the tree or other plant is native or not. What matters is can the plant provide the benefit you want in a reasonable time frame? 
But this perspective ignores the most important reason to plant native plants, their long evolutionary history with the other life around them. You can think of this evolutionary history as the place the plant has in the complex web of life. The reason we sometimes use the imagery of a web of life is that a web is all interconnected. Every strand is connected to other strands around it in multiple ways. It's this interconnection that results in a resilient and abundant environment. And when a plant or wildlife species has lived in an area for a long period of time, it will build more connections to the other life around it. When you plant a non-native plant, it might have some connections. Birds might eat its berries, for example, and nest in it, but it will lack other connections. Just a heads up, I'm about to dive into some numbers to help really illustrate this concept, and all these numbers were taken from Douglas Tallamy's great books, Bringing Nature Home and Nature's Best Hope. I put links to both of them in the resources section of the show notes, so make sure to check them out to learn a lot more about the importance of native plants and their role in supporting a complex web of life. This These lack of connections to other life is why, for example, eucalyptus trees in Australia, where they're native, support 48 different insect species. But only one insect species in California, where it isn't native. Eventually, given thousands of years, other species would adapt to using eucalyptus trees in California, and it would have more connections to other life. That takes a long time, and we're losing species of wildlife today. Wildlife that depend on the native plants they evolved with. The greater number of connections that native plants have to the other life around them is the most important reason to plant native plants. This is why I tend to use the presence of these connections in determining if a plant is truly native or not. I don't worry about how long the plant has been in an area. Instead, I focus on does the plant share an evolutionary history with the life around it? If not, it isn't native. A non-native plant may support some wildlife. Often these will be the generalists that can use lots of plants. You know, that little white butterfly that goes to all your um, broccoli plants? That's an example of a generalist. It can also use nasturtiums, any of the brassicas. It's actually a long list of plants that they like. But many more types of wildlife won't be able to use a non-native plant. This is especially true for plant-eating insects, which make up 37% of all animal species, and roughly 90% of those are specialists. They're picky. All these insects can only eat a small number of plants that they evolved with. And just to make sure you 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 got the numbers, because I know sometimes it's easy to kind of just let numbers wash past you. And we're talking about 37% of all animal species. Over a third of all animals on the planet are plant-eating insects. And 90% of them, almost all of them, are picky. They need native plants. You know, sometimes a non-native plant will be similar enough to support these picky insects, but even then, generally at a much reduced number. Phragmites in the eastern United States is a classic example of this. This plant is native to parts of the United States and Europe, but the two subspecies have been separated for long enough that even though they're very closely related and often considered to be the same species, they don't support the same insects. The subspecies of Phragmites native to Europe supports over 170 species of plant-eating insects 
in Europe, where it's native. But in the United States, where it's introduced, it only supports five species of plant-eating insects, despite there being a subspecies of Phragmites already present here. They, but they're different enough, even though sometimes they're called the same species. The reason for this is simple. Plants don't like their leaves to be eaten. Plants develop defenses such as hairs on the leaves and chemicals that taste bad or sometimes are toxic that stop most insects from eating them. Now, some generalists might be able to eat them, but most of the time, it takes insects that have specifically evolved ways around those defenses. You know, the plants develop these defenses, the insects figure out ways around them, but that takes a long time. And in the meantime, those insects need their normal host plants, the plants they love to eat, to support them on the off chance that maybe they'll get to a random mutation will happen that lets them actually eat the non-native plant too. You know, this is one reason why non-native plants can become invasive. They have the potential to grow and reproduce far quicker because they don't have to deal with pests eating them. The native plants, on the other hand, have to contend with dozens and even hundreds of native insects all wanting to feed on them. You know, in this situation, which plant do you think will grow and reproduce quicker? The answer is likely the non-native plant, since it isn't being eaten. You know, the result of this is the non-native plant will slowly and sometimes rapidly replace the native plants in the landscape. It isn't because nature is choosing the non-native plant over the native because it's so productive. It's actually the opposite. The native plant is supporting the complex web of life all around it due to all the connection it has with that life. The non-native plant, on the other hand, is only supporting a handful of generalist species. It's not really supporting that many. And the result is less diversity and less abundance. And that translates to less songbirds, less butterflies, and just less life in general. I want to end this episode by talking a bit more about diversity. Because promoting diversity is often another reason why people sometimes dismiss native plants. And it isn't hard to understand why people might think planting a bunch of plants from all over the world would increase the diversity of life on their property. Because when you look at the sheer number of plants, they might be right. You know, bringing plants from all over the world, you could see why, you know, that could create a higher number of individual species. Especially if all they had before was a classic suburban lawn with a couple ornamental trees and shrubs. Or, you know, even a modern farm filled with monoculture crops. Adding in a food forest, hedgerows, and gardens filled with productive but non-native plants would result in a massive increase in diversity. We see this on a lot of permaculture projects where they take degraded land and transform it into this highly productive food system. And it's amazing. It's great. You know, the result is a much healthier landscape than before, one filled with a lot more birds and other wildlife. But only when compared to the starting point, the lawn or monoculture farmland that existed beforehand. What would be missing from this system are those 90% of plant-eating insects that are picky and only eat native plants. And you will also be missing all the songbirds and other wildlife that rely on those insects for food. Now, the remaining 10% or so of generalist insects would still support birds and other wildlife, especially when compared to the lawn or monoculture farmland. 
but not as many as a native system filled with all those picky insects would. So imagine instead that alongside your food crops, you mixed in native plants. Perhaps you grew native lupins for nitrogen fixing instead of non-native clovers. And perhaps you mixed in some native berries and native vegetables in your food forests and in your garden. And you could plant your hedgerows so they were mostly planted with native trees and shrubs. Try mixing native strawberries in at the base of your fruit trees. And plant a native maple instead of a Norway maple for shade. You know, if you're here in Pacific Northwest, big leaf maple would be a great example. There are lots of other ways to mix in native plants. You just got to give it a go and experiment and see what works. And the result will be a landscape that is even more diverse than the systems mentioned earlier. This is because of the evolutionary history that native plants share with the life around them. That is the most important reason to plant native plants. And this is why native plants are one of our five pathways to abundance. If you want to help heal the living world and cultivate abundance for people, plants, and wildlife, then you need to plant native plants. And stay tuned for our next episode, where we will look at why messy is beautiful. We're going to look at why skipping the fall cleanup could make your land more abundant. So stay tuned for that episode, and don't forget to check out the show notes for more links and resources related to this episode. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode, and thank you for listening to the Growing With Nature podcast. This podcast is made possible thanks to our patrons over on patreon.com. Thank you, patrons, for supporting our work. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Your review will help more people find us, people like you, who want to bring these skills home to support wildlife, grow food, and help heal our living world. Well, that's all for now. See you next week, same time, same place. Have a great week, and keep on growing.